Radio shows you love from the people you know. This is Sand Talks Technology. Hello and uh, welcome to another in the series of Sand Talks Technology. Today I'm really excited to interview a fellow journalist. I say fellow journalist, I'm not really one, but he is. Uh, it's Martin Bryant. He's the uh, journalist who used to be the editor-in-chief of The Next Web. He's got a brilliant, brilliant uh, newsletter that is my daily read. It's called The Big Revolution. He's just getting into podcasting as well. He's doing so much. Martin, welcome. How are you? I'm okay, thanks, Sam. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. Oh, pleasure, pleasure. It's been one that I've been looking forward to. Uh, Martin, um, for those who don't know you, you're based in Manchester, but you're a roving reporter. Um, what is the big revolution? Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, it's a big revolution is kind of an, an umbrella for me doing lots of different things. Uh, I, uh, I started out... Um, uh, doing my own thing kind of freelance if you like kind of start of 2018 i found that if it's just me then it's quite difficult to google um because i share my name with a mass murderer um uh, so uh and the atlantic actually recently did an article um about about this uh so uh you, so you can you can read the story online but um uh yeah so basically i compete on google with a mass murderer so i, I started taking steps to deal with that one of which was uh changing my professional name to martin sfp bryant um just to throw a bit of unique uniqueness into there in terms of the search terms but also um uh, doing things under the big revolution name and it's just something that came to me i was uh, i was speaking at the event in newcastle and just walking back to the train station and suddenly big revolution a blue and white logo just popped into my head i was like right i've got to do this and uh, that's it the epiphany moment yeah yeah so so it's a consultancy so um uh, uh, money is made through mainly dealing with uh, tech companies helping them with uh, the way they uh, tell their story online, the way they uh, pre prepare their content, their messaging, uh, their press, sometimes uh, do some PR work with them, either directly or advising them on how to uh, deal with journalists, because a lot of journalists like to hear directly from startup founders. Uh, and then um, a lot of media output as well. So uh, the newsletter you mentioned, which goes out, um, used to go out seven days a week, and then I realized, actually, it's quite nice to have a day off occasionally. So yes. uh, it's now it's it just yeah, now it's six days a week, which is, is which is too much for some people. To, uh, yeah, I've had people who unsubscribe because a six-day-a-week newsletter is too much for them, but uh, some people found it useful. Um, and uh, yeah, as I say, do. Keep it going, I do. Excellent, thank you. Um, and also podcasting. So uh, so yeah, um, uh, I do a podcast with a, um, a friend of mine, a former colleague of mine, uh, Matt Navarra. Uh, we do uh, Geek Out, and um, that's about social media. And we've had people from Twitter and Facebook and uh, politicians and things on there. We've only done the first six episodes, but uh, it's gone very well. And so we're just, we're just preparing for the next run. And, uh, and also a documentary series about um, venture capital, about tech investment that I'm working on at the moment. Wow. Busy, busy man. So let's break some of that down. So <clears throat> big revolution, obviously the consultancy, we'll come back to that in a second. The newsletter. So um, from what I understand, you're using Review, um, which is an online platform newsletter. Um, how do you go about finding your stories? Is it, is it, uh, are you so well connected with, with entrepreneurs that people PR send you releases like in the old days or are you trolling the web or or have you got some secret locker that you find stuff in i mean how do you go about creating because and the secondary question that is how do you go about choosing which stories to put in and not so how do you find stuff and how do you filter it 
motion detected at the front door. <laughs> Alexa and her lovely voice. Uh, uh, yeah, so I uh, fill a role in journalism of the curator, which is increasingly important uh, in the world. So there's less original journalism in there. There's a bit of opinion. Every day, Monday to Friday, I write an opinion piece, uh, which is about 300 words or so, which is usually just me flexing my brain muscles. It's a good way of my metaphorical brain muscles uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good way of you know making sure that i'm staying sharp and, and thinking about things because uh, when i stopped being a full-time journalist uh, with with the next web i was like i whatever i do next i really want to make sure that i'm not losing out on that so i want to make sure that i'm writing regularly that i'm uh, thinking about tech stories so in terms of the the news uh, every day there's a bullet point roundup of news stories at the start uh, where it's a sentence or maybe two at most about a bunch of uh, what, what I think are the important tech stories. So really, usually, it's, a, it's the things that are going to have the most impact on the world. It's not always. It might sometimes be in, Instagram's launched an interesting new feature or something. But uh, it, it, I'd say the top level is, is this something that's going to be uh, you know, of major importance uh, to the tech world going forward? And then secondary to that is, do I find it interesting? Uh, and, right. hope, and hopefully other people will. And so then it's a case of, uh, I suppose, it, 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 I, I've got to the point now through years of tech journalism that I just kind of absorb tech news through the day, uh, mainly through Twitter, uh, but also through tools like Nuzzle, which is an interesting uh, app for seeing what people yeah. are, uh, uh, what people are sharing uh, within your network. Um, uh, there are other aggregators like tech meme. Uh, so uh, there are lots of things out there that I can then use to curate my own take on the tech world. No, it's brilliant. And yeah, I mean, it, it is in, in some ways, it is through um, that absorption and curiosity of interest in tech that you find stuff. That's how I do it. Um, I'm not, I'm not a big Twitter fan anymore. That's, that may be my weakness. Mm. Um, I find it's such a noise pool now that um, maybe my lists are not very good. Maybe I need to go back and review who I follow and stuff. But yeah. um, some people find you... just unfollowing everybody is a good idea. But uh, yeah, mm, that may yeah. be the way I start again. Um, do you use TweetDeck or do you use native Twitter? I use TweetDeck, so uh, um, on desktop anyway, because because uh, because uh, it lets you have lots of different lists. So I've got you know tech news uh, list with all the, the tech publications and uh, various. Uh, thought leaders in that space kind of streaming through uh, but a lot of the time i don't use lists i use my i, I just have a you know about two my two i can't remember how many people i follow it's, it's over two thousand anyway people right. I follow, i've kind of built up and i've i've slowed down on following people over the years like most people have i suppose and um i now follow just uh, you know, just that, that 2200 which is a lot of people but what it means is every time i open twitter i don't try and follow everything i don't try and it's something to say how do you keep up i don't try it's just no. a, a, a river of interesting things and yeah um the vibe on Twitter has changed a lot in the last few years. Uh, I was, uh, there was somebody I was, uh, somebody I follow was saying on Twitter, uh, I saw this morning, uh, I've come back to Twitter recently, but I think I'm going to leave again because I can find distorting my worldview. And there is this thing, and especially when there's so much happening in the world at the moment, so many big things in terms of shifts in global politics and in the, the financial world and the way we all live, uh, it, it can twist the way you think about the world in some rather, um, 
uh, you know, unpleasant ways, uh, you know, the kinds of things that get amplified to you, you can kind of make, uh, it can twist your worldview into thinking that the world really is a really horrible place or more horrible than it actually is, uh, which, which, which can be a problem. But then if all journalists uh, or many journalists are inhabiting that world and then they reflect that world onto, uh, onto their um, news reporting, uh, eventually that ends up changing the way more people think of the world. So even though not that many people in reality are on Twitter and living the Twitter reality, that Twitter reality does bubble out and amplify out. So uh, it's nice oh, it's to get massively away. amplification from it. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Okay. So that's, that's a bit about the review. Now, um, you don't have to answer this next question because it could be slightly personal. Um, obviously you have a subscription model that you, you're looking to. Um, do you find that people are uh, generous of subscription? You know, we've, you know, tried it numerous times with various, you know, uh, tip jars and um, th th there's other services that you can build in that, we, you know, please donate type services. Do you find people are doing this or do you just think, I put it up there, but actually it's not really, it's, it's more a case of I use this as a way of getting my name out. How, what's the balance for you? I use it more as a way of getting my name out there in terms of the newsletter and, and making sure I'm in people's inboxes and I have got business out of it. So, you know, people have, uh, you've seen something I've written and gone, like, oh, would you come and talk to us about that? Or, uh, yeah, I, I saw that and it made me think, oh, you can help me with this. So, so that, that's, that's good in that way. But, uh, it's nice to have it as a, a form of revenue because it does take me about 10, 11 hours a week to work on the newsletter uh, for, for six uh, issues a week. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's a long time. And, uh, you know, it's a long time I'm not uh, doing something that will earn me more money. So yes. uh, I'd f I find around it, it stays pretty solid no matter how many subscribers i've got and the number tends to go up you know it dips occasionally a little bit you know people unsubscribe they've had enough after a few months or a few years or whatever but it tends to be about five percent of subscribers will uh will that's great will will pay which is nice but it's only five dollars a month and yeah. it's not enough to pay for my time as i would value it in a you know as a consultant or whatever but it's it, it's good to have that extra trickle of revenue and that support as well just the feeling that you know there are some people out there and i certainly wouldn't expect it of all my subscribers to uh, to to become members but those who do it's just a really nice you know feeling of support and yes i should carry on doing this because people actually value it enough to pay for it and uh, so that that's you know it, it, it's a good bit of uh, kind of mental boosting for me as well cool now the trend today is towards subscription models and supported models seem to be disappearing. You know, you mentioned, um, you know, if we look at the FT, they've got a firewall that I think they're announced. They've just hit them. Uh, they're just slightly shy of a million subscribers. Um, you've got the athletic, which is a new um, subscription paid for no ads uh, sports journal do you think that is the way are people now beginning to say actually you know what i want quality content um i'm gonna pay for it do you think that's where we're going or or are we still in the freemium models ad supported world um well it's, it's a bit of both now isn't it really uh the, certainly subscriptions are a bit more viable than they used to be 
but people can only have so many subscriptions. And I think there was, a, there was a time when people said, well, people will only have so many subscriptions and then you'll get to a point where people will stop subscribing to things because they've already got enough. But I think what is happening more is people will subscribe to something for a few months and then take their 10 pounds a month or whatever and give it to a di different publication instead, uh, except the ones that they really want to subscribe to and really want to support mm. and, and, and really love. And, uh, and, and so whether that's a sustainable model for enough um, uh, publications, I don't know. But if more people are paying uh, and they're paying to a few publications and shifting that money around every, every now and then, then it's certainly more viable to have a subscription business than it used to. Um, and it's interesting to see how, how it's framed by different publications. So, um, so the Guardian has a, uh, rather than having a, a paywall, you can't access our content unless you pay. They have you know, a supporter model where people can pay a certain amount a month uh, just to say, hey, we like what you're doing. And that's really what I'm doing with, uh, with the newsletter. You know, people, you, you get the same content. Uh, I, sometimes around kind of Christmas or something uh, or when I'm on holiday or something, I might do uh, briefing emails to just paid uh, subscribers, but really it's a membership where it's more of a showing support than anything else. Um, but the, yeah, certainly you see, you're seeing more paywalls and I think, you know, generally it's, it, 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 it's encouraging that people will pay for online content, uh, you know, pay directly rather than, especially since we've seen how terrible the ad tech world really is. Uh, there were, there were years where, um, ad tech was, was, you know, the problems with ad tech weren't really talked about, uh, in the media at all, probably because the media needed ad tech. So they didn't. It was a dirty little secret, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. They weren't really incentivized to talk about, uh, how, uh, numbers were being faked, how, uh, how it was, uh, in terms of, you know, so, so a lot of, uh, the numbers that you read about it, uh, from, uh, from ad tech companies about how many ad impressions there are lots of ways to fake that and boost that. Uh, and yeah, then just the amount of tracking that was going on of users. Uh, and now we're starting to see more of that. And there's a question as to how much users really in an active uh, capacity care about it. They might go, Oh, that's not good. I don't like that. But will they actually set up an ad blocker? Will they actually, you know, stop using Facebook, etc., um, and, uh, stop, uh, using, uh, browsers that, that allow tracking and things. Um, not not so much, I don't think, but people are thinking about that more and thinking about the quality of content more. So, so it, that can only be a good thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I pay for medium because mm. I think the quality of content. In fact, I'm quite interested in going back to long form um, reading. Um, I spend a lot of my time reading anyway, uh, but it, it tends to be the way the web is, you know, uh, short term attention, headline stuff. Um, but I find that people who write long form thought like like you do in the, the review you know thought mm. for the day you know i like reading that because that's it's actually someone's taken time to think through a process of information um i don't read many of those a day because of time but i do like to read them and, and so i pay for medium i don't pay for much else um i would i've undenied whether i would pay for facebook mm. that, that that's the one that you know, to cut out all the ads and the rubbish and, and, and try and get it down to something more succinct. Would I do that? Would I pay for Twitter? I'm not sure I would. I don't know if I'd pay for social media. That's maybe, I don't know. Would you pay for social media? I think I would, but I, I don't think it's a viable thing for them to do uh, as a major uh, 
product decision. Uh, a few months ago, Facebook did say, oh, we might consider a paid for version of the site. But that was, I think, when they were just trying to throw anything at the wall uh, to make the Cambridge Analytica scandal go away. And so they were just saying anything. Uh, I don't think it's something they're going to do simply because their real financial success comes out of having an enormous user base. And most people, I mean, if you, I think, you know, well, a lot of people get use out of Facebook. Would they really pay for it? They'd probably pay in, in this, in the UK, they'd probably pay for WhatsApp more than they pay for Facebook, I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, there was a big uh, riot uh, in the Middle East, wasn't there? I can't remember which one of the Middle Eastern countries, I think it was, might have even been Syria, where they were going to charge for WhatsApp Mm. Uh, and and they were going no 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 you can't start charging i guess in the first world it's a first world problem we can afford to pay for stuff and therefore probably will because we want it to be less ad supported and much more private and Mm. in the rest of the world where they can't afford it maybe they they will write about it well well whatsapp used to have when before whatsapp was acquired by facebook they had an interesting model where they said it's free for the first year then it's one dollar a year right or something but they didn't actually charge most people for that just when they needed some cash they'd switch on the payments and they'd take in <laughs> cash and then you know because they said we all take a dollar for you a year so they said they'd do it and then they'd only they'd only charge when they needed to and uh, i think that's that's an interesting way of doing it if it's a, if it's a money if it's, if it's an amount that low it doesn't so matter much and at facebook scale uh maybe it'd work but i think they're so embedded and so deep within their ideology of how they work and how they do things that I don't think they're going to. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't think they will either. Um, I mean, there's so many questions to start. So let's, um, <clears throat> before I go on to podcasting, a um, couple of the things I noted this weekend, uh, the Barclay family are, have put up the uh, daily mail, daily express and Sunday express for sale. So again, our national news telegraph, telegraph, is it? There yeah. you go. <clears throat> I knew it was a daily something. I don't read national newspapers. I never pick them up. When was yeah. the last time you picked up a national newspaper? I don't know. Oh, um, in physical form about yeah. 10 years ago? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'm not really surprised that they put it up for sale. I, I, I guess it'll be a Russian oligarch who buys it. Um, I mean, if the evening standard's anything to go by. Um, are papers finally in the death row, the physical, you know, touch paper? Are we, are we finally seeing the end of them? Uh, yeah, I mean, generally, you know, uh, slowly, uh, it, it will be slow because there's a, there's a, there are still generations of people who every day go out and buy uh, a newspaper. And there are still places that benefit from having a newspaper sitting around, you know, doctor surgeries and hotel lobbies and, and all that kind of thing. So there's still a market for uh, physical news. It's just a lot smaller than it used to be and it will continue uh, in that way. And um, they will, you know, they will start switching off the printing presses on some very notable publications. Uh, you know, we've, we've seen the start of that, but it's going to happen a lot more. Of course it is. Uh, but it's a lot slower, I think, than maybe some people anticipated. Uh, some people anticipated that uh, by now in the shift to digital, uh, you know, if you look back 10 years and the kind of predictions people were making, it's like, oh, we'll, we'll have seen quite a few newspapers uh, gone digital only by now. Um, uh, there's still money to be made in the print advertising rates and there's still money to be made uh, from uh, subscriptions and from uh, getting them out to, uh, uh, in bulk to places and things. Uh, so it will become a more niche way of consuming news. Uh, absolutely, though, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think in summary, really, 
I think what we're seeing is the death of the paper finally. As you say, it might be take 20 more years to finally yeah. never see one again. Yeah. We moved to subscription and moved to quality journalism and moved to people paying for stuff they want. That's, that's maybe where I see it. I mean, it was interesting. Medium uh, changed the way it pays its authors this week. It changed it so that it used to be based on the number of claps, likes, in effect, you got. Now they're doing it on based on time read. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought that was a good idea, uh, mainly because I, th I always thought that claps were really ill thought through design idea because I'm someone who's written quite a lot on, uh, on uh, Medium and I hate it when I've written something, I've put a lot of work into it and then people like it, but rather than click the clap button 20 times or something, which is the way it was designed to be done. You're supposed to tap or click the, the, the clap button as many times as oh, uh, really? you like. I didn't know that. I only, yeah. I only ever do it once. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you, if you really <clears throat> like something, you could tap it 100 times or you could tap it, you know, like 10 or something. So if I like something, okay. I could tap it 10 times. And so what you'd get was like lots of people giving it one clap. And so it looked really unpopular compared to something that maybe had a more... I, I found that if you had a really engaged tech savvy audience who read lots on medium and you're writing about something that was maybe about medium then you'd get a lot more claps because the people have spent a lot more time on there and maybe know know that's the way it was designed so right. yeah. so yeah i think paying by time spent on a page is a lot more about quality and, and time spent on things is 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 a metric we're seeing used in a lot more ways now uh, a lot of the uh, analytics packages uh, that newsrooms use started measuring it uh, maybe like three or four years ago and uh, uh, chartbeat were the company that were pushing that as a, a a new higher quality metric rather than just raw numbers of page views which is is fine for tracking for ad impressions but a terrible way of of tracking how how much impact a journal list has for example yeah we're going back to that word attention aren't we mm. the amount of attention you spend on something i guess it's time related and if i spend more time i have a limited attention span therefore if i spend more time reading your article it has higher value i guess it's very strange i mean we feel like i feel like we're going back in time in the internet to certain things that we talked about back at the turn of the millennium which was all about <laughs> attention um couple of quick things have you used the brave browser because that's you know obviously in this space it's looking at giving tokens for your attention and and rewarding readers and listeners and with a, a, a token system have you ever used it no and i find that any kind of token based system uh, for things like rewarding journalists or rewarding publisher, publishers and publications, uh, they always seem a bit contrived. Like, how can we apply the blockchain to this particular problem? And um, they always feel overly complicated. Uh, and there's, there's too much of a head, uh, headroom in terms of what the user has to think about in terms of you know am i going to give tokens to this person or uh whatever and so i've not used that particular i've not used brave you know I, you know that that system i'm i suppose instinctively put off by the idea of tokens because it it's it makes me think about the idea of just using blockchain just because it's a uh, it's a, a technology that people feel they have to try using and uh, most right. things that come out of it end up being failed experiments yeah, I have to say I haven't used Brave Browser either, other than I loaded it once, look, had a look at it and just went, oh, it's the guy who invented Mozilla. Oh, let's go and play with it. But <clears throat> I haven't. Um, 
But in the same way, Facebook has been experimenting with removing the likes. I mean, mm. do you think think that's a good idea? Because again, I, I personally don't. I, I, I think I like the fact that somebody maybe have written, read something I've written. They don't want to write a comment, so they just—it's a quick way of giving me some validation. Yeah, well, you'd still get the likes. Uh, you'd still see. Them. Oh, would it's I? Just, okay. It'd just be hidden from other people to remove the competitiveness of uh, social media, and uh, especially on Instagram with teenagers, there's this uh, feeling that oh, I haven't got as many likes as my friend, and uh, you know, it, it shows. It's like a popularity contest where everyone's popularity has a, a metric uh, attached to it, uh, so it, it's worse than it was well, come on you know, we adults were just as bad in twitter days how many followers have you got i'm well, really po- yeah yeah absolutely but i suppose the more we can do to reduce that uh, and twitter has done a bit to reduce the importance and the visibility and the uh, uh, the prominence that the follower count gets uh, and and uh, youtube has been removing subscriber numbers and things like that so uh, just generally it's a trend we're seeing to reduce the number of metrics on view to stop people thinking you know i've heard of people who've <clears throat> deleted tweets because it got you know delete they, they tweet 10 times a day but then they only keep up the two most popular ones because they don't right. want popular it's like no i mean i i tweet lots of bad jokes and, and <laughs> th- things that get one like or no likes and uh, just just do really badly and uh, you get no engagement and I don't actually you know remove those. It's interesting because I'll post a link with uh, into a, to an interesting story that is something I found interesting somewhere on the web and. If I look at the private metrics for it, so you, you know you can click on the statistics for your tweets and see you know how many clicks it's got and that kind of thing. Uh, the link it might have zero likes and zero retweets, but it's had like fifty clicks you know so so i think well it still had an impact there you know lots of people have have acted on that link so you know i don't care about the uh, the, the public uh, view of it that much although it can you know it, some people do pay attention to that stuff so it's good to see it uh, taken away uh, and there's a there's an element of that which is about uh, improving the uh, the duty of care uh, social networks have to their users make sure they're not kind of getting stressed about feeling they have to be popular um but also it's keeping that data for themselves because uh, like i was saying you'll still get that data uh, but obviously facebook will still get that data so now they're keeping it to themselves and it's harder for other people to get a, a handle on what content is popular on facebook so that means that facebook can make uh more take more advantage of that uh, that nobody else can get i'll come back to facebook later on there's a, <laughs> there's a whole bunch of questions around that um one of the questions though i did want to in this space while we're talking about you know, generating revenue from content talking about how you know uh, you can make money to move to subscription um libra you know the facebook micro payment mm-hmm. system um yeah, I think it looks like it's dying on its feet because, not because I think the idea is bad, but I think it's because no one trusts Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook. Um, but what do you think? You know, were digital micropayments something that we should start to see? I mean, it seemed like you know every payment company was on the back of Libra. What What are your thoughts on Libra? Uh, it's it felt to me it was an interesting it was an interesting project when it started because David Marcus is the guy leading it who used to be the president of PayPal and uh, I interviewed him once and uh, on stage at a tech conference and when you interview 
some of the big execs at uh, tech conferences on stage, they have been media trained to the point of absolute banality in terms of right. what they, they say. They will not answer any questions in anything more than the most broad strokes way. Um, they, their only aim is to get off stage having said absolutely nothing of import at all. Um, so, uh, so and it's a real struggle unless something i don't invite i don't interview corporate people on that yeah. very basis. yeah absolutely the- but but i was just gonna say that uh, david marcus is the one man of all those kind of big tech execs i've interviewed who really engaged and actually addressed problems and uh, challenges for paypal in an interesting way and right. uh, so i was like i was rooting for him there um with, with it because uh, you know it, it's, it's I've had a good experience with him, but, um, but yeah, uh, I think Facebook has reached a point now where it has so much uh, cynicism around uh, its motivations, so much uh, weariness around them uh, doing bad things and uh, getting caught out and then just doing them again, uh, that uh, people weren't willing to, to stand, uh, stand for this, just going through and becoming a, a big thing and them possibly having a major influence on the world's financial systems uh, as a result of it. Um, and I think that a lot of the companies that were involved that have pulled out uh, the payment processes, I think they were probably involved just to see how it went. Uh, right. and it, okay. it, was, it was a good thing to be involved in. And uh, they had to put, I can't remember exactly how much money it was, um, you know, $100,000 or whatever on the table to help pay for the, the development of the currency. Um, and they, none of them paid it, the ones who pulled out, they hadn't paid yet. But even if they had have paid, it would have just been a, a good sum to pay to keep involved and to hear how it was developing and to have some input um and uh, so so i don't think the fact that they had lots of big names when they started is necessarily an indication that it was going to be an enormous thing it still feels like it's a bit of a almost like a skunk works project um that they've uh, because they're facebook they can push at massive scale uh but yeah uh, it'll be i'd be surprised if it launches uh in any way like the the form and uh in the time frame they expected it to yeah i mean i i, I read a lot of the uh, white papers on it and the fact that it was linked to a stable currency you know fiat currency and it was fundamentally stable coins rather than bitcoins and it gave me a, a warmer feeling that given the size of facebook they could probably implement cross countries it was always going to be an issue with central banks and governments mm. wanting to have control i thought that was always going to be their big problem but the other the other i mean obviously the biggest problem is no one trusts facebook and no one trusts mark zuckerberg anymore um uh but but you know i think what he's tr- he was trying to do uh, i guess it was copy uh we pay and we chat you know and and the mm. the amount of money that goes through that channel in china and the far east now um you know I think he wants that slice of the pie because I think advertising, as we talked about earlier, is going to slightly diminish as paywalls come up and people start to go away from this model where, you know, realistically, the analytics of how many people clicked on your ad and retargeting ads aren't really working. You know, I've bought the ladder. Stop showing me the ad. <laughs> um, so I think, but, but my but question to you really is, um, it, it was my hope, I think, that, we need a digital currency. So the claps that we talked about on medium and the likes that we have, or the follow models, I think are very uh, rudimentary. Whereas, you know, I could read the review. uh, Okay. And I can subscribe to the five pounds. That's a normal currency payment, but actually I might want to be reading a post that you've put on LinkedIn and uh, 
I could do a digital currency of 50, whatever, 50p or the pound. It could be flexible just per article because I might not want to give you a monthly subscription. Mm. There isn't a mechanism that I'm aware of that is easy enough to do that. And I just thought this digital payment might be going back to the bat browser. You know, I read, a, I read down the page, I get, I earn some bat browsers. Um, that's a currency. It's a token. I can then convert that into rewarding you, somebody else who I think's worth. I don't know. I just felt that there was, um, yeah. there's a model in there somewhere that, that, that there's a payment model in there somewhere. That's all. Yeah. I thought Libra yeah. might be it. Well, tip, online tip jars are something that, that keep coming back. Uh, Flatter was a, a big European startup uh, a few years ago that was trying to do this. And other people have tried to do it as well. And there's about you know, 10 different blockchain projects, which are tip jars of some description. Uh, but yeah, at the moment, I don't think there's a wide enough uh, user there's not enough evidence that there's a, a user behavior there that um, you know widespread users will want to will want will want to keep track of how much they've got in their little tip jar they want to give out um, uh, and uh, it feels like you're paying a lot um, and uh, the, if lots of people were doing voluntary payments and lots of people that was just a cultural thing that people wanted to do it then great um, and maybe we'll get there and yeah may, maybe something like Libra can facilitate that but uh, I don't think we're there in terms of user behavior yet no, I, I tend to agree with you. Um, so, okay, let's, let's assume right now that the model is moving towards a subscription model and a maybe a, a micropayment model in the future. Um, the other big challenges that I think we're facing as journalists, you, I say we, I've got to stop saying we, I'm not a journalist, you've got to train journalists. You're, you're, a, you're a journalist, you're, you're, you're <laughs> interviewing people, you're, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say okay. some, people, uh, some people are too um, reverential on the, uh, the term journalist. Well, I never did a degree in it. Let's put it that way. Um, fake news, fake political ads. Um, are we ever going to stop this or is this just the, the nature of the beast now? We, we just have to just be clever at fact checking. I mean, is there a way? Because clearly Zuckerberg doesn't want to check facts and doesn't want to do anything and it appears nobody else does either. So um, how are we going to get over this or are we just going to be in this horrible wash of fake news forever? Uh, well, I, I think the problem is that it's not just about, you know, the occasional story or even like every day there being uh, you know, people sharing uh, misleading stories uh, online. It's it's become a whole way of doing things now that has filtered into our culture disturbingly quickly. Uh, you only have to look at how... Uh, the number 10 Downing Street press office operates now sending out, you know, sending out briefings to journalists, which are totally misleading, you know, where they've been saying like, Oh, the government's going to go on strike. Um, and, um, they were saying that the, um, uh, the, they were never going to uh, 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 issue a. Uh, 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 they were never going to request a, an extension of Brexit, or you know, the way the way the government has uh, has operated has been through a lot of bluffing. That just a few years ago, that kind of um, misleading uh, behaviour would have led to resignations. Uh, and uh, we see it not. Just, you know, it's not just the government in the UK. It's the government in, in the States. You know, the amount uh, Donald Trump has done, uh, and he's just he's just kind of allowed to get away with it. People grumble and say oh this shouldn't be allowed and there's an impeachment investigation going on now and maybe something will come out of that but at the same time i think 
that we, we're bombarded with so much information now that the skill has been to, to break through the mess of information people get with just the most impactful message. And often the most impactful message is, is the lie and the debunking never has a chance. And, <coughs> and, and yes, it, it, you can talk about, you know, Russian troll farms and things uh, being paid dirty money or you know being paid by vladimir putin or whatever to, to suit a russian agenda or whatever and i'm sure we'll see a lot more of that in the 2020 presidential election in the states and uh, the next uk general election as well but it's it's <coughs> become part of our culture in a way that everyone has kind of embraced it in terms of political campaigning in terms of uh, advertising uh, so yeah we are stuck with it and um, the We'll see. We'll see improved technology for for helping us make sense of the world, uh, to help identify things like deep fakes, these uh, these uh, videos where um, people are manipulated to say things that they never said. So you could have like, uh, you know. Donald Trump announcing some terrible thing and it's not real, but uh, by the time uh, the markets realize it's not real, it's had some massive impact. You know, you can imagine those kind of things happening and having an impact over time, but the technology will be there to help us detect them better. But if we all have kind of got to the point now where we kind of assume that everything could be real or could be fake and we're all just choosing our own reality, I think that's the way we're going. And how we get out of that, I'm not sure. Uh, but it's it, 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 worrying times, definitely. Yeah, we're all going to be in our, our own filter bubbles, aren't we? Mm. That's the worry. Um, no, the reason I mentioned it was obviously, you know, um, Trump famously shouted out about Hillary Clinton's emails. And it turns out this week, the State Department said there was nothing wrong with it. But by the time he'd shouted it for long enough, she lost the election. Mm. Um, AOC... Um, Artesia Cortez, um, brilliant senator that she is, had Mark Zuckerberg squirming on a seat saying, basically, you're taking money for fake ads. And he was like, well, uh, yeah, basically, I am. And he, <laughs> he, and he didn't care. Um, so are we going to end up trying to get, I, I guess, in journalism terms, are we going to find a flight to quality, a flight to trusted sources again, because I guess in the old days, you know, that's what national newspapers were supposed to be, you know, high quality fact check journalism that would go out. The same with, you know, the BBC News or whatever. You, you, you trusted it. And now because every one man and their dog can be, you know, broadcasting and putting out news, um, we haven't got that sort of fact checking quality. So are we taking a flight back again, looking at the trend? Are we going back to quality, do you think? Well, there are plenty of people out there trying to promote quality journalism. Uh, you, uh, a startup from the UK called Tortoise, for example, which uh, it's, it's talking about, like, we only do one story a day, but we do it very, very well. And uh, That won't uh, last. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, uh, who knows? But um, it's, it, it, yeah, it's, 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 a, it, it's a difficult one because, uh, like I say, we're, we're bombarded with so much noise that even if we have some quality outlets out there they're just going to get uh, drowned by the more uh, by the louder things now the louder things can be the quality things you think about some of the work ronan farrow has done in the states yep. as an investigative journalist you know he's doing some excellent work there which is really cutting through and cutting through some, some really powerful people uh, you know really you know get, getting you know to people like harvey weinstein uh, media execs who've done bad things you know 
these people, these powerful people are finally being held to account um, in a way that they, they would have been able to bury, you know, a few years ago. And, uh, you know, that's partly the changes to media and the way stories are told and the way uh, stories are amplified, but it's also just a change in the way our culture has evolved and uh, the way we, uh, as a culture generally are less accepting of certain forms of behavior. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, um, th- I think the quality will always be there, but sometimes it can feel like uh, pushing against a, <laughs> pushing against a tide of rubbish, uh, which is ever growing um, and, and filling our brains. Uh, you know, sometimes I see people on, on Twitter, for example, sharing things, which I know are false. And, right. uh, but they're th- sometimes they're things that are, are false, <laughs> but they're things that, even though they're false, they support maybe something that I, you know, my political viewpoints. Uh, so maybe they're, 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 it's something that I could share and go, ha ha ha, look at this. But instinctively I'm like, no, it, it, it would support my political viewpoint to share this rubbish, but it's rubbish. It's not true. And then I'm, I'm like, do I want to be the guy who is seen to be supporting the other side or you know the you know supporting the far right or something by saying well actually no that far right person didn't say that just because you want to try and keep some semblance of reality in the world (laughs) and actually the thing i support the most is us understanding a real world and uh, you know uh, it's so difficult because you're constantly pushing against yeah uh, uh, the misinformation and this bubble all your people's filter bubbles and it's not just a filter bubble of what's coming in is what you then retain in your brain and take as your position on what the world really is. And yeah, we used to have this mass media that would define the world for us. I was watching a really interesting, uh, clip of a documentary yesterday from uh, it was about bbc news in 1989 covering the, the the resignation of nigel lawson and how they covered breaking news there and how they they did a they did a special one minute live broadcast to the nation after eastenders at eight o'clock and you just can't imagine that happening now because everyone would be reading it online and with push notifications on their phones and then they just do or, or going to the rolling news channel so the world has changed a lot and we don't have that bugle that tells us you know defines the world for us and are we ever going to find a way through this um i i I struggle to see how we find any consensus view on what the world is uh you know it's difficult now but give it a few more years i don't I, i don't see how we come back from it we have to just make the most of it um we'll you know we're, we're resilient people you know we're a resilient species we're a resilient culture we'll get through it somehow uh if we can deal with climate change which is a completely different thing but <laughs> but uh, you know that aside we will get through it and we will find a way to some form of new normality but it might take a decade decade or two yeah well i mean it's interesting because trusted news sources um I, I tend to try and go back towards those and less to sort of uh, at the edge sources. But, you know, uh, LBC News 24-hour news service launched today. Um, so that's the first time we've had in the UK a rolling CNN-type news service in the UK that's launched. That'll be interesting to see how that that's ad-supported. On, on the radio? On the radio. Because obviously but, we've had uh, Sky News and BBC yeah but it's the first radio one that's been a rolling 24 hour yeah 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 um so that's interesting um the bbc and we'll come more back to that have have got bbc sounds and and they've gone to an alexa skill where now you can have an alexa uh basically telling you the news and filtering it down to your particular interest but the other one that of course launched this week which we haven't touched on is facebook news Mm. um 
with its 200 plus sources of content you think people would have learned from the instant article for you know getting burned <laughs> have you tried it because it's only us do you get access to this early have you got use of no obviously i've seen i've seen the discussion around it and see, seen uh, what facebook has uh, put out about it and, and even in the us not many people have access to it yet uh, uh, but uh, but yeah essentially they're paying uh, quite a few different publications not all of them but some of the bigger ones they are paying f uh, for inclusion uh, so it, it, it serves a few purposes here, I think. Um, not all of them are about uh, helping readers, because uh, obviously uh, it helps uh, pe uh, people maybe who live their lives in Facebook get a bit more of a quality news uh, diet which they might not be getting from their newsfeed in terms of the things that people share in their newsfeed. So if people use it, then yes, there's a benefit there. But really, I think the benefit for Facebook with doing this is keeping a good relationship with the news outlets which they need uh, as they're facing increasing scrutiny um, the possibility of an Elizabeth Warren presidency which might see a push to break up big tech companies uh, you know there's a lot going on politically that means they need some powerful friends in the media and if they're paying big news outlets a lot of money um, there is Perhaps, uh, you know, although the news, uh, the journalists at those uh, publications would be very much, we are not, you know, we are not going to be influenced by this and we will always hold Facebook to account. Uh, there will always be a bit of uh, subconscious pressure there to maybe go easy on them a bit uh, as a result of that. Uh, that would probably be Facebook's gamble there. Um, uh, you know, it's interesting to see though as well that what they've, uh, what they've done is if they've included Breitbart in the... Uh, yes, I was going to mention that. But yeah. yeah, go on. Ellis, yeah, the yeah. Breitbart being the far right wing newspaper that Milo Yiannopoulos used to be part of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so, so very, very racist. Um, lots of uh, you know far right opinions on there, um, and uh, not really a news outlet. You know, they don't do in depth reporting themselves. They'll they'll take a a story that's been reported elsewhere and put a, a far right spin on it, and um, so the accusation has been they've included them because Facebook has been very much under fire from the right for supposedly censoring right-wing voices um, and Twitter has as well and so that's how you've had these situations where you've had apparently Mark Zuckerberg having uh, dinners at his home with some you know Fox News presenters and things like that um, which uh, uh, and uh, there was an interesting discussion on Twitter over the weekend where um, a New York Times columnist published um, a piece about this whole debate around Breitbart being on there and uh, and uh, the head of Instagram, uh, Adam Masseri, uh, jumped in because uh, uh, Facebook execs have been encouraged, certain Facebook execs have been encouraged to get involved in discussions on Twitter a bit more um, uh, and to defend their... Oh, their, the irony. Uh, ...reasoning. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> and and so uh, so he got in, uh, he got in there and kind of missed the point about it. He was saying that, um, he, he was implying that the, the problem was that um, left-wing journalists were upset that a far-right, you know, a, 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 a publication with a different viewpoint was being allowed to have space and um, that Facebook, uh, they were saying that Facebook shouldn't have a broad range of opinions and that was the reason why they had um, uh, Breitbart on there. But obviously the reason people were actually complaining about Breitbart particularly was 
it's not about political spectrum being, you know, the left-right spectrum being covered. It's more about, is this quality news that you're delivering to your users, as opposed to, you know, just tripe that might be shared by their uncle in their newsfeed or whatever. Um, and so whether it's left-wing or right-wing, you know, whether it's uh, the Wall Street Journal or the Guardian or whatever, whatever's being included in there, uh, is it quality uh, reporting that actually has... Uh, some original reporting, original journalism going into it uh, and uh, a degree of uh, quality filter attached to it. Um, and in that case, it seemed more to be about appeasing those on the right who are, or the particularly the, the slightly more far right, uh, who are complaining about uh, being sidelined and, uh, and because of the Trump presidency, have a voice in the White House and have influence in the White House. Uh, it feels more like a political move than, a, um, than anything else. Yeah, no, I, I mean... I suppose, yeah, Breitbart was included just to allow them to say we have balance. But I mean, <laughs> um, uh, I mean, you know, when you make up rubbish and, and that's what Breitbart is, I guess that's the worry. But I mean, you know, Trump complained that Google search results were biased against the far right or against Trump and the right wing. Um, he, he's, he's certainly got Jack Dorsey loving him. It's the only reason that people keep Twitter alive, I think, but, well, certainly the stock market. Um, but but what worries me more is um, kids. Um, I look at my teenage children. Um, you know, they don't watch the news. They don't read newspapers. They certainly don't read blogs. They're not reading content in the same way that you and I would consume it. Mm -hmm. They're really consuming it through Snapchat or Facebook, really, or through their WhatsApp, you know, French resharing stuff. And it does worry me that if someone like Facebook, who clearly doesn't care about fake news or quality content or fake ads they just don't care it's all about money i'm going to put any rubbish through this this was the one chance facebook news had was to set a high bar and i think <laughs> they've just failed it um it's a shame um let's move move on to another medium now um you talked about earlier that you've got into podcasting um podcasts it's a noisy place out there according to the apple itunes stats and uh, but it's growing rapidly um why have you gone into podcasting and have you found it well i i actually made my first podcast in about 2008 and uh, it, at the time it was an experiment and it was so much work to do and so much work to get it up and published in, and accessible that I kind of gave up and thought, oh, I'll do other things instead. And obviously the audience of podcasts was so small then. Uh, and I'd been meaning to do, do something in podcasts for a while, but just having the right idea and the right show to create and the right, you know, the, the, the right reason to do it and, uh, and all of that. Uh, so I've kind of been lucky that two things came along at the same time. So, uh, Matt Navarra, who I used to work with at the next web wanted to do a podcast. And, uh, uh, so, uh, he said, well, why don't you do it with me? And so, yeah, cool. And so we worked together on the, the on a podcast called geek out, which, uh, is, is going well. And, um, and, and the other one, the documentary series about venture capital was, um, I was just scratching an itch there. Um, I, uh, went to an event last year where a tech investor stood up on stage and said in front of a room full of entrepreneurs and said who in this room understands a vc's business model and nobody put their hand up and i was really? shocked because in the room there were people who had venture capital investment and i was like even you haven't put your hand up even you haven't even put your hand up to pretend you understand it that's worrying and uh, so i was going to do an event 
But I thought if I do an event uh, that uh, you know, kind of educates people, then it, it, that dif- it will only serve the people in the room. Uh, and it's, it, I can only get a certain number of uh, speakers in the room on that day in that location. So let's do a podcast. So it's, it, it's a way of doing something that I've not done, done enough of for a long time, which is uh, audio production. Uh, you know, I've done a, a lot of that in the past. I've got a broadcasting degree and uh, used to, used so to do- told you you're a proper journalist. <laughs> Did did, ra- did radio for a uh, I did uh, a radio station for a school for a while as well. Um, uh, that was my first job out of university, running a school radio station, uh, which was an interesting job. But that involved a lot of editing and creating uh, creating uh, radio programs and things. Uh, and so just going back to that and creating something that is of a, a standard I can be proud of. Um, is scratching an itch really and um yeah. if it if it gives me more of an audience and people like it then then that's good and uh, i'm lucky that i've got a few days in in the next couple of weeks where i can finish that off uh so so yeah uh, i suppose it's just something that's always been in me but just having the right time to go into it yeah cool um so uh are you both in the room at the same time or are you or are you zooming or or skyping each other how how do you do your podcast uh, so the podcast with Matt, we do remotely because he lives down in South Wales, uh, right. I'm in Manchester. So, and, and we often have, most of our guests have been in the States. So it's a case of, you know, if they're on the West Coast, yeah, uh, it's like a, an eight o'clock, nine o'clock in the evening time for recording. So that's more convenient for the West Coast. Um, and, uh, and yeah, for, for, the, for the documentary I've been doing, some of them have been face-to-face. I've, I've traveled to some VC firms uh, to interview them face-to-face, but most of them have been remote. Uh, and in a way, the actual, doing them remotely, you get more of a consistency of audio quality, strangely enough. Um, uh, if I was doing, uh, in, in, if you, the ones I record face-to-face, there's different levels of background noise, which is more distracting than a slightly different you know, level of compression on the internet connection or whatever. Okay. Um, and how are you finding in terms of, again, let's talk about distribution and monetization. How, where, where are you hosting? Where are you distributing? How are you monetizing? So it's a lot easier to distribute podcasts these days than it was even a couple of years ago. Uh, services like Anchor have launched. So we use Anchor. Uh, there are other competing ones out there. Um, it's a service uh, based in Manchester called podcast.co um, and um, a bunch of other ones as well. Uh, but uh, yeah, for, for um, uh, Geek Out, we use Anchor and uh, that's owned by Spotify. Um, one of the things when they got into distributing podcasts they wanted to make sure they had kind of the means of production covered as well so uh, so anchor is a service where you can actually create podcasts in their app if you want to um we we produce it outside that and then upload it but then they have a really good system where you literally just upload your podcast and then it's distributed automatically to everywhere a few years ago it was a lot harder it was a case of you know having to host it somewhere and then set up an rss feed and then manually share it with uh, the different distributors you know itunes yeah google etc um and it's, it's just so much easier to get heard now um and people can through things like smart speakers and and uh, Spotify and things, people can access uh, podcasts a lot more easily. So these days, it, it's a breeze in, the, in 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 that side of things. Uh, monetization can be easy as well. So uh, some some of these services, uh, Acast is another one where they will actually help you with advertising. Some of them will actually insert ads, uh, relevant ads, into your podcast automatically. Yeah. 
um, and they are actually uh, linked to uh, using ad tech and tracking are actually linked based on the IP address of the person who's downloading it. Uh, supposedly relevant to the person who's listening so if you're listening in london you might get a, uh, a, a an ad for something that's relevant to people in london for example um and um uh, then what what we do is sponsorship so we found we were lucky in a way because uh, through many years in in the tech world we've uh, built up lots of contacts and uh, managed to get pinterest as a sponsor for our, our first run and uh, nice well done yeah, so so that that uh, that helped pay for that, and uh, yeah, made it made it worth worthwhile from a commercial point of view. Because um, while I'm doing the documentary about venture capital, kind of off my own back, and would do it even if I wasn't, you know, in that world of, you know, even if I wasn't going to make any money from it at all, I'd yeah. still do it. Um, the other one, because it takes up so much of the time that we would normally spend working with clients, it kind of has to pay for itself to justify the amount of time we put into it. Um, so uh, what, our plan is to ca- uh, to resume it shortly uh, with a with a sponsor and then uh, keep doing it. And it might be that we have per episode sponsors or sponsors we sell for a batch of episodes, but we'll see how that goes. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, uh, I'd say if you're starting a podcast uh, with no real... Um, background or connections and uh, no real audience already coming to you then it's it's probably easier to use a service that uh, inserts ads into your podcast automatically if you're looking to monetize it some people don't want to monetize at all yeah i mean uh, acast wouldn't touch most people until they get to about ten thousand yeah. subscribers so i mean yeah there are services out there like podbean and various others um no, I agree. Podcasting's got a lot easier. I guess that's why we've seen a second implosion of it, you know, coming back with 750,000 podcasts. Uh, it's, again, goes back to that word, attention. How do you get above the noise? How do you get heard? How do you get, you know, uh, you know, people subscribing, which is the key to it, I guess. Um, so with, with, with podcasting, with the newsletter, with the way that you use social media, the way that we're trying to monetize it all, which is the platform that you're finding the most? So are you, are you saying, right, I'm going to, you know, my, my, my bread and butter is <clears throat> the newsletter. Um, you know, I know you touched on using LinkedIn's newsletter for a while, but is, it, is the newsletter your bread and butter or is podcasting now going to be the, the main focus or, or, or is it going back to long-form writing in Medium or, or, you know, where do you see, you know, Martin Bryant spending his time um, distributing fundamentally the same content, I guess, in some ways, you know, it, it's about who Martin Bryant is, you know, um, where do you see you think uh, you'll spend the time? I think well, because the podcast, well, because of the newsletter is a daily thing, I'll probably keep doing the newsletter. Um, and because people respond to it and people open it and read it and engage with it. Um, I, and it serves that purpose of keeping my my brain fresh and up to date with what's going on in the world. Uh, that serves so many purposes. It's worth me carrying on doing it. Uh, podcasting. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, it, it, I'll see how this documentary is received. Um, the, we'll see how we can continue with the, with, with the geek out podcast. So really it's just, you know, I, I have no strategy long-term for this. And I think there's no point having a long-term strategy when the media landscape changes so quickly. Um, yeah. Uh, that really you, you experiment with what comes up, stick with what sticks and uh, where you can build an audience. So for me, uh, it, it's primarily the newsletter um, podcasting for now. We'll see how it goes. And uh, yeah, I do some longer form writing, but 
uh, you know, on things like Medium or, you know, might occasionally get paid to write something for a, for a, a newspaper or whatever. Uh, but uh, I don't court that because I know freelance journalists and I don't want to be a freelance journalist because uh, you know, who's getting all their money from pitching, you know, 10 different editors every day with 10 different ideas and then uh, you know, living day to day and not knowing what you're going to end up getting commissioned and having to write, uh, you know, might be writing nothing for three days and then having 10 things to write in one day or whatever. Um, I don't really want to live like that. Um, Gig economy but, journalism. Yeah. Yeah. And lots of people do it and you can do very well at it. If you, if you, if you, if you are very good, um, you can get a lot of work out of it and uh you know you can be the kind of person who then uh gets a, a strong media profile out of it and things uh but you know I, I much prefer the work i do directly with with tech companies um helping them with things like you know the way they approach journalists the way they uh frame their product the way they tell their story to investors all of that uh, it feels like i'm you know working more you know more in a more impactful way on a, a more direct problem um while also having that audience uh for the, from the other things i do but i don't see that becoming ever my big <coughs> commercial uh opportunity um just okay. because there is so much out there uh, you know yeah. yeah so many voices out there um in terms of the platforms the social media platforms which ones give you the biggest return in terms of uh, feedback are you you know, I, I, I call mine shotgun marketing. You know, I, it's that splatter it around. So, you know, um, if I do a podcast like this one, um, it will be, you know, I'll promote it on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. I'll, you know, I'll email out, I'll whatever. Um, do you do the same or do you find that you stick to one channel? I mean, how do you find, obviously the email is one thing, but with the podcast you do, how do you promote the post podcast? Uh, so we do some advertising. So we've done some promotional tweets, um, but uh, generally it's through just our network. So um, Matt has a very engaged social media audience. Through he's got a he's got a Facebook group uh, called the Social Media Geek Out, um, and um, uh, he's got a big audience of social media managers and people who are exactly the audience who would be interested in it. Um, so uh, so yeah, we we at the moment we just use our social media channels through yeah Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, etc. And a bit of uh, a bit of paid promotion as well, but uh, really, it's it, it, it's just putting those out and um, and it works generally. Getting the guests to share the link as well is an important thing mm -hmm. for for, for the bigger audience. Doesn't always work if you if you're dealing with like a big company, they might share it. Uh, Twitter, for example, were really good. They they shared it from uh, their, their Twitter comms account, which is the one that is uh, aimed at journalists and the media. So that was good to see see that and uh, uh, and, and yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, it's a gradual thing because uh, like we were saying before, there's so much noise out there. Um, and I do find that, especially with LinkedIn link and, and Facebook, their algorithms, if you're promoting something, they seem to know from the text, uh, from the language you're using, that you're promoting something that you want someone to, to listen to or whatever. And the engagement you get often is, is quite low um, on those uh, posts because they probably don't get much reach because uh, they want you to promote, they want you to pay. Um, I find anyway, I find yeah. if, I, if I post something, dis uh, there's kind of a discussion starter kind of thing like, oh, oh who's, who's got an opinion about this or whatever, then that gets a lot more engagement, a lot more views than something that's just saying, hey, listen to this as I recorded. Uh, so in terms of engagement, I think Twitter gets more engagement because probably more people see it. Cool. Um, so the BBC, uh, obviously, 
talked, I, I mentioned briefly, have just launched their Alexa skill now and they've gone and created BBC Sounds. They've come off all of everyone else's platforms. They, they've sort of created their own walled garden as well under BBC Sound, although you don't pay for it, um, but you have to sign in. Um, do you think that you will find smart speakers as the way that we consume more content now or do you think it's going to be radio or or tv any thoughts around that well if i think about how i use the smart speaker in my kitchen i use it simply as a replacement for a radio mostly yeah. I, mean, I, I do ask it questions like what the what's the weather today and things like that but most of the time it's you know play bbc radio six music or whatever whatever yeah. i want to listen to and um uh, and then the most common command is stop uh, <laughs> once once I've, once I've finished yeah. uh, so or shut up <laughs> yeah so in a way it's re- it's replacing it's replacing just other uh, o- other forms of audio with something a bit more interactive a bit more you know internet connected um and uh, yeah I mean, it's interesting to see uh, i follow the uh, the prop tech world quite a bit because i've had you know clients and things in in that space in the past and um uh, it's interesting to see that uh, property developers are increasingly building uh, Alexa devices into the new offices they build and uh, homes they build uh, as a as something that you know you, you you're buying a smart home uh, yeah it's wide up and ready this seems a bit misguided to me because you know this tech will become uh, outdated pretty soon and ha- and having it uh, pre-installed in your house you're more likely to just leave it there aren't you and um, uh, and upgrading it becomes a little bit harder if it's if it's well integrated into your house uh so we'll we'll definitely see that that stuff used more and and voice has its place it's voice isn't the uh the future of interfaces though because if you think about it in offices you can't use a voice assistant in in your office when you're surrounded by people you know the the idea that uh, people will be dictating journalists will be dictating articles uh in the newsroom or whatever uh that's just not going to happen because you you know they'll be the uh, your colleague will be dictating an article next year they'll get mixed up um but for simple command driven stuff uh for just getting things done a bit quicker without you know, with less friction, especially as the voice recognition gets better, um, uh, you know, we'll certainly see more media consumption through that, and people just doing more of their uh, daily tasks through that kind of interface. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm. I, I am a massive advocate of voice first. Actually, I think that there is. I, I agree. Open office um, won't work, but I do think in the car, um, voice. Uh, you know, whether it's Google or Alexa mm. going into the car, I think will be a much more um, more intuitive user interface than we've got today. Um, I write Alexa skills, so I am seeing a lot more businesses saying that they want to control the Alexa experience. Um, you know, I've just written one for the radio station I work on where, you know, you know, yes, like you said, you know, uh, play BBC Six Sound, you know, what they get from that is, you know, who's listening contextually, demographically, location. But, but what's interesting is... Um, there is a move now towards interactive ads. So they might broadcast a radio ad and then the ad gives you an option only because you've got a smart speaker, in effect, a smart radio that says, um, would you like to know more about this? And then they can send you stuff or Alexa can tell you more about it. I think there there will be more on this, I think, going forward. Um, I think voice has a a bigger thing. I, I hardly watch TV now. I think TV is so dull. Uh, and I hardly go to the cinema. I, I consume podcasts and audio books much more than I do anything else, really. I don't know. Do you read more? Do you listen more? Do you watch more? 
I, I wish I could read more. <laughs> um, I, I read a lot of short form um, online. So, you know, maybe up to a thousand word articles or 2000 word articles uh, to push. Um, but uh, I, I have a pile of books I'd love to read. And then I just never get around to them because my brain can't deal with books as well as it used to be able to um just just and it's partly my brain it's partly just you know busy modern lifestyles finding the time to just sit down with a book well you've got a three-year-old clearly yeah, and yeah there is no way you're going to sit down for two hours quietly and read a book absolutely yeah yeah um uh, it just doesn't happen so uh so yeah i wish i had more time for books mostly i you know i have a a a, a, a feed of podcasts I listen to every week. So whenever I'm, you know, on public transport or walking around, I tend to be listening to those podcasts. I'm nearly two weeks behind on those now. So I need to up my game or just start deleting them, have some, you know, <laughs> have the guts to delete them rather than yep. swear I must listen to all of them. Um, uh, so, so my media consumption is a good mix, but it tends to be, um, but yeah, I suppose I've never really had much of a, a long form thing. I, I've, been, I've got a friend of mine who works in uh, the film industry and he's, he was always into film before before he worked in that industry and he he always found it really weird that i was like oh, i'm not that into watching a film it's a bit of a commitment to sit there for an hour and a half on the same story <laughs> um, yeah. so so uh, so yeah maybe maybe it's 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 not so much that um social media and short form snippets of information have done it maybe i've always been uh, averse to uh, long form content but uh, uh, reading all those tweets can't have helped <laughs> So yeah, um, just a couple of things in my head. I, I think we touched on before we came on air was um, uh, how funny um, we, we we feel like the, the the current future of the internet is, let's say, podcasting and Alexa skills. But actually, it's all based on a very old technology. It's RSS. It's OPML. And um, I found out today, web web hosting services now are moving to an old technology that I love the name of called PubSub Hubbub, <laughs> which has been renamed WebSub because no one could remember what it was, <laughs> um, which is a push technology rather, uh, rather than a pull. Yes, it's a push technology rather than a pull. Um, so fundamentally, your or I podcasts, the minute we upload them, they're instantly alerting. So I think it's quite interesting that, 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 I, I don't know. I, I get a feel. There's a friend of mine, new and sample. He's going back to blogging. People are coming out of social media. They're getting into writing again or podcasting again, creating lists of curated. You know, you said you were a curator. I think I'm getting to see more people saying, right, here's my blog. Here's my blog role. Do you remember those good old <laughs> days of blog roles? Um, here's my, but in many ways it's, here's my podcast and here's my podcast role. I don't know if somebody will come up with a better name than that. Um, and they, they're already talking about things like microcasting, which is seven minute podcasts and all sorts. But all of this is wrapped up in RSS and all wrapped up in OPML and all wrapped up in WebSub. So it feels like we've just gone back yeah, I mean, micro podcasts. Uh, ten years ago, people were doing audio boo. Um, yeah. that, that was a huge thing, and you know, little <laughs> snippets of audio um, were probably more popular than than hour long podcasts. Yeah, yeah. So it is. It is very weird. So where do you see it all going? Where do you see journalism? Where Where is it? Is it Is it going to be just this hodgepodge of throw everything out? I, I mean, do you have a website? Do you have a blog? Do, do you do those things as well on top of newsletters and podcasts? Uh, I've got a website. Whether I update it or not is another question. Just because, yeah. <laughs> 
the time it takes to do that is is greater than the time it takes to just tweet about something and and right the, the impact of the tweet can obviously it can, it can often be more than uh than, than putting it on the website so uh so yeah um uh uh, I do less blogging than I used to, uh, but yeah, where, where's journalism going as a whole? Um, yeah, it, it, it's in a massive state of flux, just like the whole world is right now. Uh, we've we've reached a point. It's one of those times in world history where everything gets thrown up in the air, and uh, it has to be kind of put back in some kind of order. And everyone's trying to figure out what the order is. And uh, so uh, you've got a lot of people trying to use new technologies and new ways of communicating to grab the upper hand uh, and to to push things in a, a maybe more uh, dystopian direction, which some people may say, you know, or certainly an authoritarian direction. Um, uh, we see a lot more um, uh, authoritarian uh, regimes on the rise and being praised by people more from countries. It's like many people have forgotten World War II, you know, as it as it slips from uh, from living memory of the people who actually took part in it and uh, grew up in it. Then that's becoming more of a um, you know the the themes that humanity struggled with then are coming back and so journalism is just part of that it, you know it's part of this huge churn we're seeing in the world and uh, journalism has a role to to help us understand the world but it also has massive challenges in helping a figure out what it is in this modern world how it's paid for and uh, how it gets its message out there um when you know anyone can you know, set up uh, a a blog and instantly make an impact, uh, which, depending on what they say, could be more than you know fifty news stories about the same subject, depending on you know what they're saying. So, so yeah, it's it's an interesting time. And uh, ten years ago, we've talked about ten years ago a couple of times um, uh, recently. Uh, you know, it, while we've been talking <laughs> about you know technologies coming back and things, uh, ten years ago we were full of optimism for where social media would lead us. And uh, what it's actually done is it's led us uh, in a very confusing direction. Um, which has, has has coincided with lots of other things happening in the world. Uh, uh, maybe the neoliberal uh, economic uh, political approach to the world, uh, kind of running out of steam, running out of ideas. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting time. Uh, it's an interesting that you've got uh, people talking about, oh, we need a new form of capitalism. Even billionaires uh, talking about, we need a new form of capitalism. Which yeah. you, know, you can you can say, is that really a genuine thing they're saying, or is that just uh, you know a bit of uh, you know positioning? But the fact is, it's interesting that all of this is happening around the same time. And yeah, uh, yeah. So I have no answers. Um, but uh, yeah, the fact I have no answers is because everything is so messed up and so up in the air, and it will be for 10, 20 years. I don't know. Yeah, we'll have to see. Yeah, no, I tend to agree. Capitalism 2.0, politics 2.0. God, I hope we don't get Trump for four more years. Uh, Brexit, <laughs> it's all a mess. There's an argument that things have to get a lot worse before they get a lot better. So uh, we, have I, to, I agree. we have to go through our World War Two before we get to our, uh, our 1960s. Yeah. But the, the most interesting thing this week, the internet turns 50. Yay! <laughs> On the 29th at 10 o'clock in the morning or 10.39, it will turn 50 years old this week. And then you think, yeah, 1969, you think that's quite an amazing journey it's been on. Uh, yeah. It's only 50. So, um, look, thank you, Martin. It's been fascinating. I think uh, we could sit here and talk about all of this. Um, I can only highly recommend get hold of Martin, 
certainly get hold of the big revolution subscribe 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 it's a great great read every morning it's with my coffee um where else can anyone get hold of you martin uh, yes, I'm Martin SFP on Twitter. Uh, and uh, yeah, bigrevolution.net is where you'll find information about the newsletter, various other things. There's nothing about the podcast on there yet, so just because I'm waiting for this other podcast to get ready. And then I've got pod- podcasts plural to talk about on there. Uh, but yeah, big, big, no, bigrevolution.net and Martin SFP on Twitter. I, I just made, I haven't forgot, I forgot to ask you one question. I, I, I guess it's a yes or a no. Will Facebook News make it? Mm, I, Facebook uh, has a poor history with uh, dealing with journalists. Um, I think the uh, question is, will it be actually useful? Will it be used or will it, will it become one of those tabs in Facebook that nobody bothers with? Uh, and if that's the case, then Facebook will stop paying uh, journalists, uh, possibly stop paying publishers eventually. Uh, the question is, is the use of, of paying those newspapers, does it pay off in terms of uh, having a good relationship with the proprietors of those newspapers and the uh, and the managers of those newspapers? Does that pay off for Facebook enough for them to keep it around, even if engagement in, in it is low? So the jury's out, but they don't have a uh, glittering track record in terms of news. Brilliant. Martin, thank you so much for your time. It's been amazing. Uh, I hope to catch up with you again very soon. Martin Bryant of Big Revolution. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Sam. Thank you, Sam. That show was amazing. To listen again, please visit our website, marlofm.co.uk or visit our Facebook group, Sam Talks Technology. And now you can subscribe on iTunes. Never miss a show again. See you next week. Same time, same place.